Do you ever see the way that people go to rock concerts? You know the way they make that sign? Do you see that? Like the, the hot chili peppers? I, you don't have to agree with me, but I think that's like devil worship, you know? It, everything that God does, the devil tries to copy. 777, he has 666, blah, blah, blah. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You've got Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Everything he does, that God does. The devil's jealous of God, wants to worship from you, to worship him instead of worshiping God. So he hijacks the things of the kingdom. And one of those things, listen, one of those things is lifting your hands. That's what it is. Because it's powerful. Just like the simple things that you see in Scripture, you can read past them and not understand that they are issues of power. The Bible talks about the first heaven, second heaven, and third heaven. The third heaven being where God dwells. The second heaven being the stratosphere, if you like. Space as we perceive it. The first heaven being earth. Now, please listen. One of the ways that we pray, one of the ways that we break through, is by acknowledging that and by lifting holy hands. It's not for no reason. When you lift your hands, you acknowledge that there is a heaven and that there is a God in that heaven. And I believe in Him. Amen? So, why don't we all do exactly that? Let's stand. I want you to lift your hands. Maybe you've never done that before. And as you do, you're saying exactly what we said. I believe in God Almighty. I believe in Jehovah, my Savior. I believe in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we pierce the darkness this morning. We tear down principalities and powers. We say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. Rebuke you out of our lives. Rebuke you out of our bodies that there be no sickness in this place. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for the Pakistani community in this great city. Would you bless them and prosper them in all that they do. God, for the Mani Alam speaking community. Bless them, Father. For the Eritrean and the Ethiopian community. God, for the Russian and the Polish the Sri Lankan, the Mauritian, and all the nations, God. And above all, God, as our feet are on this ground, we lift the Scots, we lift the locals, the nation that has taken us in. And we particularly pray, God bless this great, great nation of Scotland. And today, God, we want to receive the word into our hearts. I pray that every person here, without exception, would not just receive one word or two words, but a multitude, a feast in the kingdom, God. Something that will change us, motivate us, and send us out of this place to build our churches. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And on your seat, there's several pieces of paper on your seat, but this is the one I want you to get now. It's entitled Celebration of Unity. It's an A4 sheet, Celebration of Unity. And that will be our message for this morning. I'm going to have to move because of time. Celebration of Unity is written at the top, and that's going to be our notes for this morning. If you've got your Bible with you, please turn to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts chapter 11. And in just a moment, I'm going to read from verse 19. Now... Time flies, amen? And, and some of you will know what this is. Believe it or not, 
Not everybody's ever handled one of these. Do you know what this is? It's a cassette tape. Well, time changes very quickly because if you're like maybe 10, 15 or whatever, they don't use these. They use CDs, they use podcasts. And, and for many years, we as a church in whatever country we're in, we produce teaching tapes. It's a major part of what we do. And in Dublin, we used to have nine recording decks and the, there was a, a room in the church full of these things. We used to knock them out. Listen, the most important thing about a tape, a recording, is the original. It's the first one. So whenever they were going to just get ready to produce like 100, 200, I was always interested, give me the master. I want to see, I want to hear the master. There's no point in duplicating that if it's flawed. What's the point? Amen? Now, if you're an engineer, you know what I'm talking about. The template has got to be right. And it just makes you think, friends, because we're all planting churches here. It just makes you think about churches. Does the Bible give us a template? Does the Bible give us a master copy, a place in Scripture that I can go and see what the church should be and see what the church should not be? Wouldn't that be useful? Wouldn't it be useful to say, ah, this was not in ABC. This was in ABC. And the place, God has not left us without it, praise God. The place where we find exactly that, the carbon copy church, if you like, the church that we were to emulate, is in Acts chapter 11. And I'll, I'll, I'll read a little bit of it. It starts in verse 19. And here we find what God expects of every church. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by persecution. I can stop right there. Sorry, folks. Look up a minute. Pastor Johan, nothing changes. You're, you and your people, folks, especially the Scots, please listen to me. Those who had been scattered by persecution. Just stand up a moment, just so people know who you are. It's Pastor Johan, persecuted, was going to be murdered in his home country and had to flee. Do you know why? Because he had a Bible. That's it. That's it. They found out he had a Bible. He and many of his people had to walk across the desert and, and hide and escape from persecution. Today, in the days in which, th thank you, in the days in which we live. Pastor Fred, what, what's happening in Pakistan? What happened? The, 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 the man who spoke against the blasphemy law. It's a small world. A friend of Emmanuel's, the man you just prayed for. Small world. This is, folks, this needs to be us. It's just we need to see it. You need to see it. This is now. This is now. In fact, it's hotter than ever. More relevant than ever. The people are fleeing from the nations. And we here need to wake up and welcome them in and work with them. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. See the days, see the times in which you live. They were fleeing. And God has put this in here, explaining to us, in the last days, wake up. Things are going to get fierce. You have been warned. As we get nearer the end of time, so the heat will turn up. So you will be persecuted. And I believe with all my heart here in, in the UK, because our government is not strong on these things. Very soon they'll be saying to us that, you know, we're going to lock you up if you don't marry gay people or something like that, right? 
Just what, three, in the last two months, the law has changed twice towards gays and all the rest of it. Now you're not allowed to, if, you, if you're a Christian and you have a, a hotel, they've changed the law now. They won their case. Now you have to let the people come in and they have to sleep at your hotel, you know. So everything's, you know, building up and getting biased towards us. So I want to know what I'm building. I want to know what I'm part of. I've been with this church a long time, virtually since I got saved. I, I went here, I went there, I was looking for, I thought, that's it. That's it. That's, that is this. It's this. It's this one. It's the real one. And I want to give my life to something that matters. And that's why I love this place. So this is us. Sorry, we were reading. Right. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as the UK, traveled as far as Phoenicia as, and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. You see, the message was confined to locals until the internationals came. Telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news. In other words, they didn't limit it to their own people. Amen. They started to reach other people within their cities, telling the good news about the Lord to them also. And then my first point is in verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned. All over Scotland, folks. It's, it's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Why do you think all this trouble's happening? Why do you think God permits persecution in Pakistan? Why do you think he permits it in Eritrea? I'll tell you why. So that your people can be saved. So that your people can be saved. Because it is a truth. It's a factual truth. It's an historical truth. When people live in their own country, they get comfortable, blind. Why do you think God uses missionaries? He sends missionaries because locals grow sleepy and weary, and they no longer hear. And sometimes, I'm sorry, but sometimes persecution is the very thing we need. Sorry, but it's true. Historically, it's true. Every time, there's a little saying, the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. Look at China. Hundreds of thousands, 138,000 a year come to, to, to salvation in China. For over and over and over the church grows. Why? Because of persecution. Now as people begin to come into the UK, they're all over our city. Pastor Alex, 2,000 Russians in this city. Now you see, God sees this. Scattered because of economic troubles or whatever. No problem. But here they are. And I thank God that's there because the apostles went to them also. Went to them also. But why? Because they were out from their, 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 their sleepiness. They had traveled to another place. And when you travel to another country, you're open. You're open. You're open to new ideas. You're open to things that you would never have, have received back home. And so it's, again, it's just a fact. Many people get scattered, and then the very thing they find, they get saved. Hallelujah. So that's what we're doing here. We're fulfilling this right here. Point one of what we as a church need to see ourselves as is, is in point 21, in, in verse 21. It says, and God was with them. God was with them. And I hope and pray, folks, whether it's your cell groups, whether it's your prayer meeting, whatever it is, I hope that the hallmark of your churches 
is that God is there. They reckon that if you remove the Holy Spirit from the church, 90% of our activities would carry on as normal. And nobody would tell the difference. Do you get that? (laughs) That's what they say. So we can be so religious that it's a tragedy. But the presence of God has got to be our hallmark. It has got to be what we crave for. Jeanette, when we bought our first house years ago, I remember it very well. We went into that property and we looked around and we walked in. Nice, this is nice. Walked in there. Went into the living room. Presence of God. Into the hall. No presence of God. I thought, whoa, there's a real... This is strange. What a sweet presence of God just here in this room. And I didn't say anything. Some time went by and the owner brought us into that room. And we were standing there. And I just happened to say, this is a nice room. And the woman turned and she said, ah, this was not a living room. This was a bedroom. And in this room, my mother has been bedridden for many, many years. And all she did was pray. And she died here in this room. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. And that woman, I believe with all my heart, there is a believer right there. And the Lord had taken it. See, the presence of God is tangible. You can feel it. And it can be kind of scary. Where's Ruth Blair? Give us a wave. Ruth and I were in the church, what, two years ago? after we had five days and nights of prayer. We prayed all day, all night, all day, all night for five days. All day, all night, all day. And I was tired. Jim was doing security for us on the door and I turned up at the the church. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. I was tired, I was weary. It was about day three. And I walked into the church hall like you do every day. Except this day. I understand about glory. The word glory, it means wait. Wait heaviness. Not bad heaviness, good heaviness. And I walk, as I walked into the hall, I suddenly had to get down and I looked around and Ruth was over in one place and there was somebody else at the back and you just broke and such was the presence of God. Tangible. You could feel it. And I wept and I went outside. The doors were closed and a few minutes went past. Ruth came out and she said, I suggest. <laughs> she said, you can feel it. I can feel it. I know God's in there. Your, your congregation, Fred, when we were in the Hilton Hotel and the worship was going on, that was a good meeting. That was a women's meeting. All the women gathered together. And I was waiting outside. And the room was like over there, say those double doors. And I can't remember which one of your congregation, but one of the women came out and went, oh, closed the doors. Oh, The presence of God. It says here, they met in Solomon's colonnade and no one dared join them. Nobody dared join them. That was the presence of God. And I hope that we can grasp that and realize that it's something to hunger for, something to have passion after and move. And I know most of our churches, if not all of them, have all-night prayer. I think that's a fantastic place to find the presence of God and to keep that anointing in our churches. So that's the first hallmark. 
The second hallmark, look at this. Acts chapter 11, and I'll read from verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, they saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. All I want you to see, another hallmark. First, every church needs to make sure that the presence of God is there. Okay? And pastors, if the presence of God is not there, for heaven's sake... Fast, pray, get on your face. Amen? And bring your leaders and seek God until God is with us. We can't do anything without God. Amen? Secondly, firstly, the presence of God. Secondly, they accepted other ministers. And these guys wouldn't be here if they weren't like that. But some churches get parochial, you know? And and if you're like that as a person, you're going to struggle in your Christian life. You're going to struggle. Everybody needs people. You need people. Every church needs oversight. Every church needs to receive the word or receive the word both from God and men. As I say, these churches are fantastic because they receive outside ministries. But that was one of the hallmarks, folks. Just in case you criticize your pastor for being part of wider networks, I need you to understand you're mistaken. Your pastors need to be part of wider networks. Because it's in these places, like Barnabas here, who, where outside ministries can come and quicken the word within you. Listen, look at me. The widow of Zarephath. You know the story? The widow of Zarephath, deep in debt, just about to die, her and her son, in a time of famine. And God says this. He says, I have spoken to the widow. So the widow had a word from God. <laughs> but it meant nothing. She did nothing, and nothing changed. The Word was in her. It took something else to bring the Word to life. What was it? A human being. It took Elijah. And when Elijah arrived, it was like he quickened the faith. You see, it's not just about us getting words from God. Of course, that's crucial, essential, but there's more than that. Many of you can hear from God, but unless you work with people, the Word can lie dormant, and it never comes to life. Amen. And that's what these occasions and other occasions are like, because it is, it, it's God's way, I guess, of, of twisting our arm and getting us to work together, keeping us humble. So secondly, they received other ministries. Thirdly, very clearly, I, I won't go into it, but it was a discipling church, and I thank God we're beginning to get our act together on that score. In terms of discipleship, folks, we live in an age where people don't want anything to be required of them. And if they miss prayer meeting and you ask them why they... Who are you asking? Stay out of my life. Who are you to challenge me? We live in an age where people would like to think that nothing will be required of them. Well, that's not discipleship. Jesus walked to the cross, and he expected those who followed him to come along the same way. Amen? Oh, he expected a lot. In the same way I have suffered, so will you suffer. He demanded a lot, called for a lot, and so must your leaders call in you. So don't resist it. Discipleship is a biblical principle. Moses had his 70. David has his mighty men. 
Paul had his Timothys. Jesus had his disciples. And so you must submit to the leadership in your church and receive correction and be changed. This is the place where we're supposed to change. This is the place where we give up everything that's in God's way. So first, it was a place that had the presence of God. Secondly, it was a place that wasn't isolated, but it was a a place where other ministries were welcomed, where there was a constant buzz, if you like, of activity and life with other churches and other ministries. It was a discipling church. And fourth, it was a giving church. If you thought you were going to get through today without talking about money, you're mistaken. (laughs) Look, giving is central to the kingdom. It's right there in the Garden of Eden. It's a beginning place. And as we look, guys, as we look to build churches and to grow churches, do you know what God says? Jesus himself says this, if I can't trust you with mammon, how can I give you the kingdom? How can I trust you with the kingdom? How can I bless you and cause you? If I can't, you and your life, you and your business, you and your career, if I can't trust you, it's not just the leaders, it's every believer. Do you want spiritual things? You want that anointing? You want to see healing, etc., salvation? Well, Jesus says, okay, we'll start with finances. We'll start with you submitting your finances to God. Now, we've been through this many times, but the book in Acts was definitely a giving church. And the giving in this church, I thank God, it's gone up and up and up and up. A few struggles here and there, but it's all right. So rather than talking to you today on a corporate scale, let me talk to you individually and just explain a little bit about the tithe. What is the tithe? The tithe is 10%. You see, over and over again, I meet pastors and they say to me, come and speak in my church, but don't talk about money. (laughs) I don't want you to talk. Oh, my, my, my people will all leave me if you talk about money. They'll all run away. Don't mention it. Really? Are you sure? I think you've got a little mistake there. This is fundamental. Why should, if you leave your people separating their money from God, where's their heart? Where's their heart? Jesus was never shy about this. Amen. Never shy. Don't be shy. You can, you can broadcast it. Give it to your people. Explain to them. Look, this is my weekly shopping. Okay? So I go to Asda. This is my food, curly kale. Very good for you. Amen. Praise God. Mixed green vegetables, one pound in Asda. Fantastic value. Amen. This is my food for the week. This is my shopping basket. Okay? Now, as well as my shopping basket, my income, everything that I have, I also have a few seeds here. And God says that he owns 10% of what you earn, period. He owns it. It's his. And every week, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, every week, you should bring in to the church you go to 10% and pay your debt, because it's a debt. You bring it and you give it to God. Now, what happens is, look, we get hungry. Monday. (laughs) And we start to eat. And we work our way through this, and all of a sudden you start to see these seeds here, you know? Look at this. It's my tithe. 
my tithe. It's very small. It's only 10%. Looks good, though. I wonder what that one tastes like. That's nice, that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Excuse me. I'm just eating my tithe. You see, friends, see this? That will never fill me. That will never make me well. How can, how can this fill me? How can you live on that? You can't live on that. You can live on this, all right? You can live on the food. No problem. Eat your food with gladness. But for heaven's sake, don't touch the tithe. Don't touch the tithe. Because you can't live on it anyway. What's this for? It's for God. It's for planting. A farmer understands that. You're not much of a farmer if you eat your seed, are you? You're not going to have much of a crop. You're going to be very foolish, crazy behavior. Farmers sow their seed. Eat your food, sow your seed. Now listen to me. There's a list of things that God does. And there's a list of things that you alone can do. In terms of seed, God does not determine the seed you sow. You do. God does not determine the size of your harvest. You do. God does something else. He says, as long as the earth remains, I will give you seed time and harvest. I will give you summer and winter, cold and heat. I'll do my part. But please listen to me. In terms of prospering in your life, it is you who determine it by your seed. You need to sow your seed. Scripture is full of examples about farming and seed, crops and harvest. If you sow little, you're going to reap little. And I said it to you a few weeks ago. I often think of myself as surrounded by people who are very highly qualified with huge incomes and no money. Putting money often in pockets with holes. And I scratch my head and I think, where's the seed? What, what are you doing? There's something not right. You see? So pay your tithe. Understand its place. Understand it's not our topic for today, but it is important because I believe it's a primary thing in a growing church, an essential ingredient. They had the presence of God, number one. They accepted other ministries, number two. It was a discipling church. It was a giving church. And number five, it was, it was an international church, a multicultural church. And you can read, actually, in, in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. It's not easy to see it. But in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it says this. In the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and on and on it goes. And it actually mentions people from many different nations. For years, we as a church have trained up people from Malaysia, and we have sent them back. And those people now live in a land of increasing persecution. But I thank God that as a church, we have been very influential in that department. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of Malaysian students have come here. Many of them get saved here. They get discipled here. And then they go back to their home countries. Now, all I'm saying, folks, I don't just want to see that for Malaysia. We need to see it for Pakistan. Amen? We need to see it for all over India. And we need to start putting our shoulder to the wheel for Russia, for Latvia, for Lithuania, for Estonia. That we see what we need to be doing. That's what they were doing here in this church. 
a multicultural church for a purpose. Number six, it was a charismatic church. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I'm a little, I wish that we had more of the charismata, more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the unction and the power that goes with that. What does the Bible mean when it says, or what do I mean or in, in this message by saying that they were a church that moved in the charismata or the gifts of the Spirit? Well, what I mean is this, your gift, please listen, it's in your spirit, okay? It's, a, it's in there. It's part of your spirit being. You're essentially spirit. You just happen to have a body. Example. Let's say there's somebody here and they're blind. And I come walking past, okay? Here I am. I'm a Christian. I, oh, there's a, there's a blind guy there. And in my head, I know about healing. And in my human heart, I feel sorry for them. And I say, uh, <clears throat> do you mind if I just pray for you? And I say, yeah. I pray for them. Does anything happen? <laughs> no. Have you ever wondered why you pray for people and they don't get healed? In my head, I can pray. In my heart, I can even cry. But the person is still blind. This is where the charismata comes in. This is where the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listen, another person who is gifted with the gift of healing, comes walking past. Not the head, not the heart, but the spirit responds. And from deep within them, they see someone. They see an illness. They see a sickness. And it's the spirit, the Holy Ghost, prompts them. Heal. I want to heal. God's power coming through. Do you understand the difference? It's good to be compassionate with your heart. But it's the gifts that have been given to the church. That, it's a supernatural prompting. Not just for healing, but it comes in all manner of ways. And we need to get used to hearing and listening to that. It can be a prophetic word. That's the charismata. Someone may really need that word. A friend of mine, he's a pastor in Swansea in Wales. His name's Julian Richards. Very good guy. Very godly guy. He's driving down the street and he feels hungry. So he says to himself, I think I'll go and get a bag of chips, you know. So he pulls up outside the chip shop and he looks over, word from God. Clear, clear. Looks into the shop and God says to him, look, there was a man standing behind the counter. And God says, see that man? Go and tell him that he will be dead in three months' time. And Julian thought, I'm not hungry. I'll just go on home. And he said, all right, never mind the chips. <laughs> so he sits in the car and he thinks, I can't go and tell him you're dead in three months. Bye. Ooh, what, what sort of word is that? So he's panicking. He doesn't know what to do. And he says, God, help me. What do I do? And he waited until the chip shop was empty. It's the charismata. It's a prophetic word for someone. You see? It's the gifts. So he goes in. Yes. And uh, he says, um, uh, hi, hi, I'm Julian. I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian, actually. Yes. What do you want, you know? Um, Christians, you know, as Christians, you hear from God sometimes. You know, yes, what do you want? And he said, well, let me just spit it out. I was sitting in the car, and I believe my God spoke to me and said, you're going to be dead in three months' time. And the chip shop owner looked at him and said, tell me something I don't know. 
I already know that. I've got cancer. They've given me three months. So what? I don't need you to tell me. I don't need your God to tell me. Wow. And Julian said he just had a few moments and he explained the gospel and said, you need to repent of your sin. God's offering you salvation here. And he doesn't know what happened. He left the place and never went back in that direction. He doesn't know what happened to man. But that's gifts. Can you imagine the effect on you? Can you imagine? I hope that man got saved. I don't know. But that's the difference, folks, between stopping someone with leaflets on the street and handing out leaflets and a prophetic word. You see the difference in the power? Enormous difference. Huge difference. And you can be compassionate for people and pray for them, and I say, go right ahead, please do it. But you need to understand it's different from the gifts. The charismata is a different thing, and we need to see it. You see, God's power can be here in this room for healing, and yet people will leave and not be healed. It's up to your mind. Look at, turn to Luke's gospel a moment. Let, let me show you this. Luke's gospel, chapter 5. Luke's gospel, chapter 5. Verse 17. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 17. I want you to look at this in your Bible in case you blame me for it. One day as he was teaching, that's Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there and the power of God was present to heal the sick. Folks, look up a moment. Nobody got healed. Nobody got healed. There's a reason why that's in your Bible. The power of God was present. The charismata, the, the, the power of the Holy Ghost was in the room. But no one in that room actually got healed because they were all switched off to the gifts, if you like. And they had, four men had to break a hole in the roof and drop someone from outside in. Here we go, receiving other ministries. <laughs> drop someone from outside who did believe it was the paralytic. And they didn't even believe that. You see? And there's reasons why we don't turn on, if you like, to the charismata. If we don't believe in it or we've got our faith backwards, you know? We think it's all about us. Look, please listen to me. Abraham is famous for one thing. Abraham had faith in God, not himself. It's as simple as that. Abraham believed that God had the power. Abraham believed that God could do it. God can do this. I believe in him, not himself. And half the, the problem with us, I think, is when we're praying with people who are sick or whatever, we think, do I have the faith? Your faith is in going in the wrong direction. You need to have faith in God. Amen. Faith in God. It was never faith in you. Don't have faith in yourself. That's not going to work, is it? It was faith in God and in his ability in fact, whatever you believe God for, he says he'll credit that to you for righteousness, right? That's what happened to Abraham. So will you, if you will just believe that God has the power, that God has the will, then we can see this charismata, the gifts of the Holy Spirit functioning and flowing among us. I mean, there's been times of crisis when all I had was sometimes you get a crackpot, you know, a Christian minister who's a head case. And... and I was out of Ireland for a long time and I returned on a day when this nut was preaching in the church that I used to be the pastor of. 
And I didn't know what, in fact, this was the second time, the second event of something like 12 events across the whole country. And I, you know when the shepherd goes, foxes can get in, amen, and eat your sheep and destroy your work. And I thank God that just by fluke, by coincidence or God incidence, I found myself in that place that day. And I listened to this, it was a woman actually, <laughs> no, no, it was a woman, and I sat there and I thought, oh God. Where's she going? She's going all over the country. Big event. Oh, Lord. Oh, what do you do? Later that day, there was a meeting, and all the leaders from different churches were in the room, and the whole thing had momentum. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do here? Do you know what happened? Listen. Do you know what happened to me as I stood there? Tongues. From deep within my being, tongues. The Holy Spirit began to pray. And I began to be lifted up in my spirit. I began to know what to do. And I thought I got it. I was unable to handle it myself. Unable to stop, because I think she needed to be sent home. In fact, we did send her home. We canceled the events. I went to the organizer and I said, you ring around those places and call it off. Because that, that lady's just not right. You know, just real cuckoo. Sorry, <laughs> she was, she was nuts. And we were able to stop that. I needed God. I needed God to help me. I needed the charismata in me to break through that circumstance. And some of you, you can't face it alone, the problems you have. You can't deal with it on your own. That's why you've got a spirit. That's why you've got the gifts. So please make use of them if you like. Number seven, the church in Antioch was a praying church. And I thank God that this church is, is highly, highly committed to prayer. You know, the average Christian, look at me a moment. The average Christian prays for how long a day? Five minutes, I heard. <laughs> that, that, that's a better one. Ten minutes. Let's say five, ten minutes. Do you know why? Do you know why the average Christian prays for that little? It's because they don't know how to pray. That's why. They don't understand how to pray. So when they begin, they very quickly run out of things to to do. So they finish. It's because they don't know. In Ephesians it says, pray in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers. But many believers, the vast majority of the Christian church, don't understand how to pray. And therefore they don't see the breakthroughs that they need to see. Turn to Mark's Gospel. Let me show you this quickly. This is a great scripture. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. And it's the, it's, it's the healing, sorry, Mark's Gospel, chapter 9 and verse 18. In fact, let me start from, let me start from verse 14. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw, the, they saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with him about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and become rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. They could not do it. So Jesus did it. Jesus did it. You see? Now look at verse 28. Jesus Praise a prayer 
that his followers could not pray and could not do. And in verse 28, after Jesus had got indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we pray like that? What's wrong with us? And Jesus replied to them, this kind can only come out with prayer and fasting. Folks, it could not be more important. See that? Sorry for my props here. There are many types of prayer, not just one. And some of you have been praying for the same thing the wrong way for years. Some of you have been praying and praying for the same thing the wrong way for years. And you wonder why you don't see the breakthrough. Jesus said to them, for instance, this time, this type of spirit can only be broken with prayer and fasting. It was a particular type of prayer. The Bible says this, pray in the spirit at all times with all manner of prayers. And one of the problems we have is the only one we know is supplication. Supplication means pleading. Oh God, please help me. Help me. That's the only one we know. And many Christians, their prayer lives, all it consists of is a begging session. No understanding of the other aspects, the intercession that cuts off the devil from people's lives and from their own lives. The prayer of faith, where the Word of God is something you pray in. Not understanding agreement or petition or the power of these things. There's more than one type of prayer. Ephesians, pray, talking to you, and it says to you, pray in the Spirit at all times with all types of prayers. And you need to think the disciples didn't do this, and so the boy had a demon. You see? Maybe too lazy. Maybe didn't want to fast. <laughs> right? So you think again about the things you're praying for. And maybe ask God, God, is there something else that I need to do? Look at this, for example. Let's say this pulpit is a problem to me. I want to move it over there, but it weighs a ton. And I spend years... Ten years later... Hi! And that's what it's like. Instead of saying, Tom, Fred, Pastor Babu, Pastor Daniel, come and help me. The prayer of agreement. The prayer of agreement. When two or three combine together, that's what prayer meetings are for. Remember, there's some things you can do at home alone. But I warn you people, listen, there are many things you can't do alone. You can't do it at home on your own. There are things you must bring to the prayer meeting and pick up a mic and make yourself vulnerable before your church and say, I need you to agree with me. Help me shift this out of my life. Hallelujah. Many types of prayer. Pray in the Spirit at all times with all types of prayer. Number eight, it was a church that accepted changes. And I thank God for this church. We have had fantastic people here. The, the original church have gone through so many changes. You know, here, we arrived 2006, and changes took place. And Tom, since Tom's arrived, there's been even more changes. And yet, the original team have stayed with us through thick and thin, through ups and downs. And I, I really thank God for that. In fact, 
let's give them a round of applause because they have done very well. Very well. They, however, with a word of warning, the changes we've seen so far are nothing in comparison to what's coming up. Amen. Change needs to be a permanent state, folks. And pastors, I tell you, your people will never forgive you if you don't change. And if they hate change and they love change. They want change, but they don't want change. I want you to change, but if you change, and this is it, this is what you get. I'm bored, everything's the same. Okay, we'll change. No, I don't want change. Right? So you know what you need to do with that? Put it all behind you. And don't let it bother you. And put into place the changes that need to be made. And take no ear to people. Amen. Take no ear to people, leaders. Lead your church and make whatever changes need to be made to see the churches planted and the cities reached. You can say amen right there. Whatever changes, whether they are comfortable or not, whether they are convenient or not, those changes will be made. Whether it suits me or whether it suits you, amen. It's the kingdom of God. Not yours, not mine. It's God's own church. He died for it. And we will follow him. And we will be in keeping and in pace with the days in which we live. Hallelujah. Getting ready for the return of Christ. A church that accepts changes. What changes am I talking about? Well, changes in your perception. Pastor Fred, you have changed me. You've changed me. For the worst. I'm only kidding. <laughs> You've changed me. And his quiet wife there, sitting behind my wife. Give us a wave. Miss Parveen. Very good politician. <laughs> Several times, probably more than anybody else in the church. Many times over the last few years, Parveen has come up beside me quietly, very respectfully, said, Pastor Mike, could I just point something out to you? You're making a mistake with the way you do this. Oh, thanks, Parveen. No problem. A couple of weeks later, Pastor Mike, could I just show you something? You don't seem to see this. Oh, thank you. It's a friend, you see. A friend is someone who will show you mistakes. And so this congregation have changed my perception. And I am better for it. Hallelujah. I remember when I first started to work with the Romanians. We used to have communion. You know what I'm like about communion. But that came from the Romanians, you see. I went into the Romanian church from my congregation. Oh, Jesus. When I saw the reverence and the godliness and the preparation that the people made when they came to the table of the Lord, I was ashamed of my church. Because we had people chewing, chewing gum and eating the bread. We did. I stopped communion for that once for three months because I saw a lady sitting in the pew chewing gum. And the bread came, pop. And I'm responsible. So I came back the next week and I said, there will be no communion in this church for three months. And we will repent of this attitude. How on earth can we celebrate the death of Christ like that? Come on, guys, we've lost it. And I began to tell them about what I had seen in another nation with the Romanians. Whatever happened there, the Romanians kept it. We lost it, they kept it. So everywhere I go with different churches, I try to bring back that original truth. 
of respecting the Lord's Supper. So when I talk about changes, what changes am I talking about? I'm saying that as the nations come in, I need to learn from them. I need to learn from the Indian peoples. I need to learn from the Chinese peoples, from the African peoples. My, oh my, can we learn from the African peoples? Jesus, God help us. I say this about the Africans. I'm getting myself in trouble, am I? No? Okay, good. <laughs> in my opinion, the Africans have the best attitudes of, of all nearly the nations I've ever worked with. The best attitudes. I had a cell group when I was in Dublin. Every member was African. The whole lot, every single one. And there was me and Jeanette there. And those men used to come in. And I don't know what it is. Is it kingliness? Is that what it is? Is it the nature of kingship? Enkem, she's a great example. Enkem walks into a room. Come on! Sure! Wah! Head back! My head's up! And it's not pride. It's plain and simply someone who knows who they are, a child of God, and I love it. I love it. You know what religion will do? Oh, excuse, excuse me for being alive. Excuse my presence. And many of the African cultures have conquered that. Hallelujah. Fantastic. So we need to learn from the cultures. Amen? And the last one, I need to watch my time here, sorry. It was a church who endeavored to do teamwork. And I love teamwork, folks. I, I, I didn't used to. I don't know if I shared with th this with you before. But for the first five years in ministry, I couldn't work with anybody. I couldn't work with anybody. Nobody. I was, it was hopeless. Life was terrible. And being a pastor like that is a disaster. I wasn't kingdom-minded. I was Michael McKeever-minded. Hallelujah. No, not hallelujah. Bad. <laughs> I couldn't work with anybody and nobody could work with me, right? And I went up a mountain. I was praying and fasting and something happened to me. We actually had an all-night prayer meeting and something happened to me. Something changed. Hallelujah, people can change. People can change because I changed. I changed as a person. And all of a sudden, I became open to the... I could see the kingdom and everything was gone, if you like, of, of that old self. It's like a metamorphosis into a kingdom-minded being. Great. You can change. So don't get all parochial about your culture. Those days are over. Take a look at Glasgow. Come on. It's changed, changed, changed. Like these guys had to change. And that's what we should do. So this was a church that embraced teamwork. I love teamwork. Now. <laughs> I didn't like, used to like teamwork. Do you know what teamwork is? Now listen, guys. It, it, especially you, Pastor Bible. Pastor Bible has 14 churches. Do you know what I need? I need somebody beside me to say no. I don't like yes men. Yes men say yes to your face and no behind your back. No good. I need people who say, Mike, no. I've got someone, Jeanette. Amen. Praise the Lord. Only Yogan. I'm not talking about relationships, not talking about your marriage. I mean in the church. And that's what I like about Pastor Tom. Pastor Tom has got no problem in saying to me, Mike, no, that's a bad idea. I, oh, okay, okay. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But as long as you want, or if, if you endeavor to surround yourself with yes men, you're going to die. Your church will fall apart and there's, there's no future in it. There's no future in it. We all need someone to say, do you know what? 
No. No. Okay? That's why like a battery, power comes that way. A battery has a negative and a positive, and together you get power. And whether you like it or not, folks, all of us need a corrective voice, a balance in our lives, not just in our marriages, but in our churches. We need someone around us who can show us when we're going wrong. And that's what teamwork is all about. We're much safer with it. And lastly, it was Ascending Church. Now, many things have changed for us over the last few months, thank God. We are now paying support, financial support for the pastor in Armenia from this church. We've taken him on because they don't have enough money there. It's an underground church. They, they pose as an English school because there's great persecution in Armenia. So we're going to take him on for a time, and I'm going to try and get him to, 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 to grow his church. It's, it's in connection with our last point. The church in Antioch was ascending church. We're going to support that guy in Armenia. We're supporting Pastor Elia in Bulgaria. And I thank God his first Sunday was three weeks ago and he had 49 people in the opening meeting. Amen. That has not been easy. Not been easy at all. It's a very difficult church plant. But at least we've started. Two weeks ago, Pastor Johan came on staff. Hallelujah. Amen. So he will now be paid and supported by his people. That's sending, if you like. Pastor Fred, currently supported by his own congregation. Didn't happen overnight. It's taken three years or more to, to, to get this far. Pastor Babu's already supported by his own congregation. In terms of sending, the finances are crucial, you see. And I, I really thank God for it. We're beginning to see things get established both here and abroad. And I do pray for a good connection with Pastor Alex here. As we look, I want to plant in Latvia, Lithuania, maybe Rostov, and some of those countries. You have been asked, given responsibility, us as a church, to particularly take the concern of Eastern Europe and the ex-Russian states and to build churches there. So that's what we're going to do over the, over the next years that are ahead. We're going to become a sending church in, in every way that we can. Folks, that's what the early church was. That's what they were. And that's why your leaders say what they say. That's why they ask you to do what they ask you to do. And that's why we are doing what we're doing. Amen? Amen. We can go and have food now. I'll just invite the worship team back in, in a moment. But let's stand to our feet and, and pray these. Oh, yes. On your seat, you'll find a gospel tract. It's a Billy Graham one. It's a very good one. There's some spares over here. If you want to take it with you, take the gospel tract and give it to someone you know who doesn't know Jesus yet. Okay? There's a gospel tract on your seat. Please take it with you. And if you want some more, there's some right here. Let's just pray. Just invite the worship team. Father God, we thank you for the example of the church in Antioch. And I pray that we, in our different locations and from our different nations, will continue to impact this city and the nations of the world. And particularly, God, we ask for the ex-Russian states, for Eastern Europe, would you begin to form a network and teamwork that will help us reach the 2,000 Russians in Glasgow? God, would you help us to reach them, Father, to, 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 to see them come to Christ? And would you help us reach into Lithuania and these other Eastern European cities as the door is open? God, enable us to enter. 
We commit the rest of this day and all our fellowship and time together, and we bless it in Jesus' name.